Hello and welcome to the Bioprocess Insider Expression Platform, or as literally no one is calling it, BIAP. My name's Dan Stanton and I am the founder and editor of Bioprocess Insider, the daily news outlet of Bioprocess International that takes a look at the latest deals, new technologies and global trends that affect the bioproduction space. If you're not aware of um, either of those publications, then go to www.bioprocessinsider.com where you can take a look at some of the the latest breaking news and sign up to our free newsletters. We currently go out twice a week with the latest news stories. We are increasing our newsletters to three times a week by popular demand within the next few weeks, so stay tuned there. Those of you who know me will know that I'm a journalist who loves nothing more than badgering the industry to tell me more about how biologics and vaccines and cell and gene therapies are made. This podcast looks to speak to some of the more interesting individuals in our industry to look beyond the bioreactor or uh, further on from the fill and finish facility to maybe some of the more humane elements of our industry or the more, I guess, fascinating ones. My first guest could not be any more fascinating. Uh, Her name is Tia Lyles-Williams and she is the founder and CEO of Lucas Pie Bio. Tia is an advocate of equality within the biomanufacturing space, having suffered plenty of hurdles getting up to her position where she is now. She is now leading the way in uh, addressing the subconscious or or perhaps conscious um, prejudices that are blighting the biopharma space. I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you want to get in touch, my email is dan.stanton at informa.com. That's informa, I-N-F-O-R-M-A. Uh, if not, sit back, enjoy, and listen to Tia Lyles-Williams. Tia, welcome. Thank you for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. And uh, yeah, January is kicking off with a bang for us. So we got a lot going on at Lucas Park Bio. Oh, fantastic. Well, look, we actually spoke um, back in November um, uh, during an interview that led to a story I published highlighting some of Lucas Pye's capabilities and how your company stands out in the CDMO space. Uh, We can talk about the company a bit later or, you know, listeners can go back and uh, read my article from that. But um, I've asked to speak to you again today to talk about less about the nuts and bolts of your company and more about yourself and some of the work you are doing in highlighting diversity issues within the biopharma space and some of the protocols and procedures you're actually you're actually actively setting up to um i guess level the playing field for black and minority employees in this industry if we start by talking about you yourself um i'm really curious to know how you ended up in the biopharma industry and specifically in the cdmo space Got you. Well, I ended up in biopharma literally on accident, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, in school at Howard University, I was on the, you know, I majored in biology and I was on a pre-med track. Um, I had did, you know, internships and work studies between Howard University Cancer Center, NIH, and Walter Reed, and Walter Reed turned into a job. Um, and so during, uh, after I graduated, but still working at Walter Reed Army Institute of Research in Silver Spring, Maryland, uh, our PI at the time uh, got caught mishandling funds. Uh, so she was taking funds from a, I was a supervisor of a, I guess you call it a high school 
uh, summer internship program. Um, and so apparently uh, the army came down, you know, they were preparing, they were in, in interviewing us and investigating us unknown. We were not oblivious to it. So we figured the army came down when they come down in uniform and they sit in front of you, just answer the questions. Uh, and now that I think about it now, fast forward, I think probably we might've answered the questions not in the favor of that PI that brought to light of her mishandling those funds and taking the funds from that, that internship program and lo- using it towards her research studies to keep her lab going and to keep us on staff. Um, but anyway, so when that happened, um, I stayed as long as I could because I didn't want to quit. I'd rather her let me go. Um, so that bought me some time to continue my research, continue to, to upskill my, uh, my skill set, and then uh, more importantly, gave me time to find a job. And so when it was time to find a job, uh, I went through a process that most minorities and African-Americans go through in biotech. I went through a temp agency. Um, I forgot what it was called. Then it was Kinetic or, or it was something with a K, whatever. They're still around today. And so I went through there and we and I interviewed for several, uh, I think at that time it was Invitrogen. Uh, it was Human Genome Sciences, at, at, which is now GSK in Rockville, Maryland. And it was one other. And uh, HGS was the one that brought me on as a temp and turned into a full-time employee. And when I got there, uh, even as a temp, and even when I became a full-time employee, I hated it for the first probably six to eight months. And, and the reason why I hated it is because I'm used to, especially when you work in a benchtop R&D environment, you know, you got your white coat on, you know, you make your own schedule. So you don't need to like beat around a bush. Like you're literally there to handle your experiment when free time frees up. If you can go home early, you can go home early, whatever the case it was. So coming into a corporate world with biotech and big pharma, uh, was a bit of a challenge for me. Um, you know, at that time, uh, now you have all this outsourcing as far as cleaning the manufacturing facility. Uh, you have more consumable parts, so you're not necessarily washing parts all the time. Um, and at that time, we didn't have that. So you had a staff washing parts, but the way that the plant was made, it was uh, unidirectional. So if you gowned out, you had to go all the way back around. If you forgot a stainless steel part, you had to go all the way back around. Uh, if you forgot to give the glass wash team the parts in time so they could be autoclaved and ready by a certain time, now we're delayed. Um, and then on top of that, we were expected to also clean the facility. Uh, and it wasn't a hard cleaning, like, you know, we hired an external project. But to me, it was a, a kick in the butt and shock in the face because I was like, I'm with the Howard University. I got a degree in biology. I ain't come here to mop no floors. I ain't had to mop no floors that want to read or can I hate. Uh, and so I was so, uh, uh, quite frankly, pissed off about it at that time um, that I went to train with the uh, Virginia Fire Department to become a paramedic. And ironically, I could pass every test except for this uh, uh, endurance test where you had to do the Stairmaster for like, uh, I want to say like five minutes. And that five minutes is like grueling. Okay, and you have on a 25-pound weighted vest. And so I trained with a personal trainer, actually, and I was a little bit smaller than so I actually ended up bulking up, and I felt the test because of that one point. And so from that, um, I went back to training, and, and something happened. And from there, that's when I, uh, I went to the doctor, and I got diagnosed with my, my chronic condition, uh, which is a, a chronic migraine condition, but it's, it's more of a uh, physiological instead of neurological. So I have increased... Uh, cranial pressure because the skull did not grow to the full adult size. So it's basically crowded. So the medication I have to take, I have to take it for the rest of my life to kind of maintain that homeostasis, uh, pressure relief, 
Um, and then also had to be careful for high pressure situations, i.e. Uh, doing number two in the toilet. Uh, things of that nature I have to consciously breathe because I'm also missing uh, a few other physiological things that other people have. For example, if I was to get an aneurysm, um, nine times out of 10, I would not make it to the hospital because I'm missing that one little piece uh, inside my brain that a normal person would have that would allow them time for the ambulance to come get them and, and get them there right away. So that's how I, I came in, kicking and screaming and, and pissed off. And then uh, once I got diagnosed and I hooked up with my mentor, Sandra Brown, uh, who's still my mentor today and still works at GSK today. And we'll, we'll talk about her in a minute. Uh, but uh, if it hadn't been for her for taking me under her wing and really showing me the lay of the land and giving me more challenging things to do, like actually make the drug, uh, doing the drug process, being able to look at skis, seeing how things work, um, then I probably would have chugged deuces and who knows where I would have been. Maybe I would have tried out for the fire department again. Maybe I would have took the MCAT again. Uh, the second time I took the MCAT, the HVAC caught on fire. So I took that as a sign of God. Uh, I had my car towed that morning, so I was almost late to the test. The HVAC caught on fire and Walter Reed saying, with that same PI was pissed that I had the audacity to go take uh, my medical exam at that time, the MCAT. So I was trying to fire me for that. So, I mean, through, through you know, um, having a chronic d disease, chronic condition is, is not great, obviously, but um, without it, I suppose the small spill of lining is you wouldn't be back in the biopharma space and um, heading up a kick-ass uh, um, CDMO down in Philadelphia. You alluded to uh, working as a temp in the first instant, which I'd like to pick up on with you, actually, because you, you mentioned that is that was anyway the way that black and minority workers entered the space. So it's first still, of all, I'm, it's it, still the way we enter the space to this day. Why is that? Um, we will get back onto um, the yeah, progression we'll of your career, that. but that yeah, is a fascinating but, point. But, right. But uh, the reason why that is, is, you know, we still have this problem of race and uh, black culture and, you know, how our names are spelled, what's assumed about us. Um, and then on the other side of it with uh, Caucasians making sure that they take care of their own. Um, and they may be doing this. Some may be doing it consciously. Some may be doing it subconsciously. Uh, either way, the fact that they even have the opportunity to do that is also holding us back. Um, and so if you didn't know anybody directly, which if you come straight out of co college and you know, you've been working at this at Benchtop for the last two years as a government contractor, um, you don't interface with corporate or uh, uh, corporate biotech. You don't have anybody there. Uh, as you know, it's still separated like that. Academia is academia including governmental research and corporate is corporate. Um, and so if you don't have anybody to kind of handshake and walk you in and give you a recommendation to the hiring manager why they should bring you in, then me applying, I would have never got looked at. You know, all they would have saw was, you know, uh, for example, uh, Howard University is well known now. You know, we got Kamala Harris, VP, right? My fellow alumni. Uh, but pr even prior to then, probably literally a few years ago, people looked at HBCUs as subservient. So with me having the resume I did, although I had Howard University Cancer Center, NIH, uh, Walter Reed under my belt, I, I graduated with over, uh, I think I graduated with just over a 3.5 from Howard and always did internships every year. Uh, I only went home one year. Uh, that still was not enough to get into a place like a human genome or GSK today. That, was, that wasn't going to be enough. So I had to go to a temp agency um, to kind of connect the dots with me and basically give the company some type of assurance that I was actually uh, a credible uh, hire. And unfortunately, 
that is still the case today. If you don't know anybody, hell, my last assignment uh, with, with Jazz Pharmaceuticals was a, a temporary contract job, full-time position with the hiring agency as their employee, but the project was uh, temporary. And uh, <laughs> they kind of pulled the wool over my eyes and said they wanted one thing, and then when I got there, it was more like a glorified secretary position with the title senior manager of biological development. And so I had to kind of make my own relationships um, and kind of force my way in to get the assignments and, and the projects uh, that I wanted to work on um, that was within the scope of my actual title. Um, and then even during that, uh, my um, work was stolen right in front of me and claimed by a Caucasian man. And I didn't even catch it at first. Uh, I'm like, I'm the, he's going through the presentation. I'm assuming he's including me because it's, it's my work. And then the person that we're reporting to is asking questions and I'm trying to jump in and answer, but he's answering before I can even get a chance to answer. And then some of the questions that the person we was presenting to was asking, I'm looking at my presentation like, well, what happened to that? I included that. That's supposed to be right there. That's supposed to be right there. And so I reported it after that meeting. I, I didn't report it the same day because I was so hot. I was so pissed off. So I waited till the next day where I come in, come collected and reported it and um, nothing was done about it. Nothing was done about it. Uh, I was supposed to be hired on full time. And then um, again, that person, my boss, chose to go with somebody that he had known for years at a previous company with way less experience than I do, I had. And so that's what I mean that this stuff still happens today, whether subconsciously or, or consciously, um, it is still happening today. You bring up a lot of things there. You talk about um, the subconscious or conscious racism, um, which is um, very much inherent in society and across other industries. Um, you also talk about um, nepotism, perhaps, um, being a huge influence here. And that whole white privilege. Um, this is clear across, I'd probably say most of the industries are, um, that, uh, well, in Europe and, and uh, the US, there is these three things nepotism white privilege and, and inherent racism but um as far as the biopharma space goes is it is it harder for um, a minority or someone of color to um break through or is it still got all the challenges uh, or, or is it as what i'm trying to say is it worse than any other industry i would probably say it's harder and the reason why i say it's harder is because when you go uh, to any undergraduate program, whether at a majority white school or HBCU, and you get a science degree. Um, and no matter how many internships or whatever you've done, you know, leading up to that graduation day, when you go after a biotech job, uh, sometimes it's literally, as a person of color, as a black woman and or a black man, they get it real worse. They get it worse than us, I think. Um, when, we, when we go through that process, if we don't get a job, in a biotech company and we got all these credentials and we studied and we got PhDs and, and, and master degrees or whatever, then when, when there's, then at that point, if we can't get a job in the industry, where, where the hell are we going to work outside of teaching? You see what I'm saying? Like, even with you putting a biology degree on your resume, and let's say you're trying to just go get something in the meantime, um, uh, working at McDonald's or Starbucks or hell, Home Depot, you know, and that, they automatically look at you and say, well, hell, why are you coming here to work? You're too smart. You're not a candidate. We don't believe you're going to stay. 
And then biotech is telling you, well, you're not good enough and you should have did this and that and the third. And, oh, you have no experience. It's an entry-level job. What the fuck do I need experience for? Well, this, this is it. You, you, as you say, you commit time, you commit energy, you commit money to training up in this industry. And if you enter the door and they treat you like that, then, yeah, you're, just, you're kind of in that central section being squeezed from both sides. And that, that's a right. pretty shitty area to be in. So, so, right. so with that in mind, you went from that position to, to founding um, Lucas Pie Bio, uh, being the CEO of a, a CDMO and being able to raise significant funds to do that. First of all, how did you have the uh, energy and courage after being knocked down so much to do that? And how did you actually do it? <laughs> Well, one, I don't give up. That's not my, my motto. I'm going to keep pushing the envelope, fighting, doing whatever I need to do, uh, and doing whatever I need to do, included educating myself outside of academia and outside of the workplace. Uh, I just told somebody the other day, until about eight to 10 years ago, there was no formal education on biotech or regulatory or quality. Now there is. Um, and so during, since there wasn't at that time, I was on YouTube. I was uh, going to conferences sometimes out of my own pocket. Um, I was just researching things that I needed to know to learn the business of biotech. Um, and I was kind of forcing that too because I was bored. You know, when you're working on the manufacturing floor, and there's nothing wrong working on the manufacturing floor, I love it. If they would let me manufacture drug as a CEO, which they probably won't, um, I would do it. Um, even if I could only do it one day a week just because I love it that much. But when you're in a situation where you have all this knowledge and all this experience and you're over there helping other people get promoted over you with less experience because you're training them that well and you're trying to say, well, why am I not good enough? I've been here longer. You asked me to train this person and I still can't get to where I need to get to where I want to be for my personal career goals or to support my family. Um, and so with that, that's why I turned outside and started educating myself and later down the line, eventually got a master's in regulatory uh, science. And when I took that degree program, I graduated from USC 2018. Um, when I took that uh, degree program, um, I came into it um, with the assumption that it was going to be a huge learning stretch and challenging. Um, and I'm not throwing shade at USC and their program. It was a very, very good program. But with my wealth of experience at that time, it was simply a review and to get a piece of paper. So much so to the point where in these types of degree programs, um, you have your professors and your staff, but because the knowledge is so limited and the resources as far as books and stuff is so limited, they tend to hire um, or contract people that work in industry to come teach. So it's like a seminar style type of program. Um, and sometimes some would come in and I'm looking at them like, how the hell did you even get here? Because that is wrong. That's not what we do in industry. Um, so that's how I was able to push my way through. I went and got that piece of paper for credibility. I taught myself uh, things that I wanted to learn outside of that, regardless of what my management allowed me to learn, allowed me to experience. Um, and then I just kind of dug in and, you know, found a hole and said, okay, if I'm going to do this, then I need to be authentically myself. Um, I need to lend a helping hand and get people up here and, the other thing is wherever Lucas Pie Bio goes, it needs to go into an area where it can stand out and have the success that it deserves. And so originally, Lucas Pie Bio was supposed to be in Gary, Indiana. Uh, the mayor at the time um, 
Karen uh, Wilson. Uh, I, I loved her. You know, she was a former, uh, I think she was like a, a former prosecutor for the state of Indiana. Uh, she worked heavily with the Senate and state level uh, House of Representative government. She was a graduate from uh, Harvard University. And so she had done a lot of things to turn the city of Gary around. Now, it was a very, very slow walk during her term because um, a lot of stuff needed to be done. Gary looks like a third world country. Okay, this is the city where I was born. And so when, when I went to meet her, she was in the middle of running for her next term. And she lost uh, to an African-American man. No shade to him. But he only graduated from high school. He was in the military but had no leadership position. And he was essentially propped up by the white majority in Gary and surrounding Garyana to take that role. So when that happened, uh, I pulled the project from Gary. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to work with this guy. This is a very unique startup. This is not like a tech startup. This is not a salon or a fucking restaurant that they typically like to put us black people in as far as starting. Um, and so I did, and I came up with a list of cities of where I wanted to be. And so it was uh, New York, uh, Jersey, Philadelphia, or Chicago. Um, and so we're looking at the life science industry there, and Philadelphia was the one that was most right, and ironically, in the same place that Boston was a few years ago before it exploded. Um, and so that's why we chose uh, Philadelphia. And, 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 and Lucas Pribio was born out of a necessity to change the dynamic um, for black people and people of color to give them a real opportunity to utilize their talents appropriately, not be suffocated and forced to use their talent where in which they've already outgrown it. And so now resentment sets in um, and now you're really just there for the money. Uh, and a lot of people are, don't, don't take risk like I do to move around. That was another way how I even got to the senior manager position. If I'm at a company and I get to a certain level and I go after the position and you tell me no, or you tell me, uh, I, I interview and you don't give it to me, or you tell me that now the position is closed, I leave and go get it somewhere else. So if you guys look at my, my LinkedIn profile, if we're connected, you'll see I jumped around probably every two and a half, three years. That was on purpose. And I'm not the only one that do that. Most black people that you see in a VP or director position, they got there because they jumped from biotech to biotech because for some reason when we stay too long, uh, we get taken advantage of for our skill set. And so now you want me to stay in this bubble um, because that's where you need me to be to, to, for, in order for you to function properly in your leadership position. And so I'm supposed to be go to this, this uh, what we call a do-boy or a fetch person. Um, and so with that happening, that's why I moved around and that's how I got to the senior manager position and even at that like the story i just told uh i was still cut off at a ceiling uh for something out of my out of my control and so when it got when that happened and it came time for me to figure out where, whether i was gonna get another job uh i took that as a sign and i had everything written out on paper and i just went after it uh full time to get to where i'm at today and it's starting to pay off with all the press and attention um customers that are beginning to sign on uh, for projects and, and we're doing good work with myself and my team. The one missing piece that's only missing uh, to really have an impact on black people and people of color, especially kids growing up that aspire to work in the science industry is them seeing my team. My team is pretty much all African-American. My team is all older than me. I think I'm the youngest one on my team. 
And ironically, I've worked with each member of my team at each one of those companies that I moved at. Either I reported directly to them or we worked together. And if that doesn't make a statement about how credible we are, because we all come from Big Pharma and we all have at least 15, 20 years minimum. I have some that have 30 to 40 years um, and still was working via temp agencies. And they started a whole clinical development department for a big name pharma company. This is how powerful Lucas Bio is. This is what I did to get to where I needed to go. That's, um, I mean, that's... That... <sighs> That's an incredible story, but it's it, it unveils the very depressing side of the industry that, um, um, you know, possibly because of my skin color, possibly because I'm not on the manufacturing side. I don't see, I don't hear the fact that you've had to jump around from company to company. I'm thinking of all these um, big pharma companies that have lost out on talent, lost out on skills because of an inherent racist attitude at the company and within society. And it's, it's a real underlying issue within the industry that I don't think has been spoken about particularly. And the fact that you are um, illuminating me, I, I imagine you're probably illuminating a lot of my listeners as well. So at Lucas Pie Bio, as, as you said, you've, you've kind of created a, a space to harness this talent that's been... Um, uh, rejected or palmed around um, by Biopharma. Um, I know you have some other uh, strategies and another uh, uh, some other um, tactics to uh, increase diversity within the industry from Lucas Bio's point of view. Um, do you want to talk me through those? I know we spoke before about um, issues sure. with pay with, for black workers and how Lucas Pie is um, going against the grain there. Yep. So we're uh, we're doing a workforce development program. Uh, it's kind of like a eight to ten or ten to eighteen week boot camp program. Uh, we've made a commitment to the city of Philadelphia, uh, particularly the third district is where we're looking to to uh, set up shop. We're trying to purchase a, a plot of land for them. Um, and so with that, we had a draft proposal on how we would impact the community. So we made a commitment for a number of jobs to come from uh, Philadelphia third district. Um, and those jobs range from manufacturing operators to lab technicians to even some senior level uh, roles. And when I say they're reserved for them, meaning if I don't fill those positions the first go around, we do the workforce development program, um, then those jobs will remain open in, until somebody comes from that community purposely. Um, our lowest salary is 50K. Uh, that is on purpose. Um, people probably heard me say before, the minimum salary for a manufacturing operator with no experience today is still 38K. Um, and this is not only at a CDMO industry, this is big pharma. Look how much money they make. This is big pharma still paying this. And the reason why you don't hear about it, Dan, is because no one talks about it. Until COVID-19, no one even talked about manufacturing for real. You talked about process development. You talked about R&D. You talked about building facilities. Hell, you even talked about uh, keeping the environment <laughs> sterile and aseptic. But you, and all those things I just mentioned, you did not talk about the working man or woman on the floor that's doing those jobs for those tasks. And, then, and unfortunately, too, African-Americans have not said anything about it, right? Because for fear that if they speak out on it, I'm going to get fired. I'm not going to be able to get hired because as big as the biotech industry is, once you've been around it, as long as I had 20 years, I just made late last year, uh, it is relatively small. You see the same people at our conferences, 
uh, nine times out of 10, when you go to work somewhere, you work with at least two to three other people in your lifetime from other companies that you worked at. So it was relatively small. And so we don't like to talk about it because it, it paints a bad picture on science overall. You know, you talk about, oh, you want more STEM programs for uh, underserved communities, particularly black kids and people of color. And then nobody knows the, the undertone of that. Um, a great deal of these programs for STEM, uh, with the exception of one I'm about to do with, with Jefferson Institute of Bioprocessing, um, they're not trying to prepare them for a senior level position or some type of expert, uh, expertise. Uh, opportunity. They are preparing them to be a lab tech in operator with, and there's no plan to say if you do X, Y, and Z, we'll promote you. There's nothing there. Um, until recently, and most of them still don't do this, there is no real assistance for tuition outside of tuition reimbursement. Well, if I come in from an underserved community and I'm working as an operator or a lab technician and I don't have any schooling and I'm trying to go to school and you won't give it to me until I pay up front, how the hell am I going to get educated? and you're only paying me 38K, I'm barely eating. I'm probably rooming with somebody. These are the things that, um, uh, the reason why you don't hear them is because they are that, that ugly. And so um, even now, I wasn't very vocal about it until I started working for Lucas Pavio or you know, started my company, to be honest with you, because I had to protect my, uh, my, uh, my job, my, my living. Yeah, when you're the CEO, you, you can kind of speak out, but there aren't, um, as is very apparent, very many uh, uh, African-Americans as CEOs of um, uh, companies within the pharma space. Um, I mean, the last year, you mentioned COVID um, um, putting a focus on manufacturing. Um, the last year, we've also seen uh, the Black Lives Matter movement um, stepping up. And so there's obviously been more of a, um, a focus on uh, racial inequality in the U.S., Mm -hmm. um, from both the mainstream press and also from um, well within industries like ours, um, I wonder if you um, what your feelings are on the trade group bio. I mean, they last year um, put uh, Dr. Michelle McMurray Heath um, as the uh, head of their trade group. She's the first black and first woman um, a, a leader of bio and she's um, installing a bio equality program or she said she was anyway I'm wondering what your thoughts are from there if, if I mean it sounds positive um, on first read but have you seen any changes particularly well I'm not a member of bio so there there could be changes that I just don't get privy to because we're not a member of the of a bio just yet sure um, but I mean um, obviously bio representing the big the big the big yeah, boys yeah. in the industry. Yeah, um, so I just want to make that clear that if she, right, I just want to make that clear that if she start, I know, I know what plan you're talking about. If she started anything, nine times out of ten, the members are going to get that information first. But other than that, um, when she was hired, I was super duper excited. It was almost like a kid seeing their favorite basketball player. Uh, we did bio virtually uh, for the first time last year for the for the international convention. Um, anything that she spoke at, I listened to. Um, when they first announced her name and she made the announcement public uh, prior to that about her being the president of bio, uh, I immediately went to connect with her on LinkedIn and she accepted right away. Um, so I'm excited about her being there. I think it's going to uh, help and influence people to change their minds about us and, and, and some of the stereotypes that they uh, assume and place on us. But it is going to be a very long road. 
And even though you had Black Lives Matter, uh, even though you had a new uh, president of uh, bio, even with Vice President Kamala Harris, and hell, back then with, with President, uh, former President Barack, um, we see that this road is very, very long. And the reason why is because we're, throughout all this, companies are still pushing back and saying, where is the talent? We don't know anybody with the skill set or the talent. We need more programs to usher in black people and give them the skill set and the opportunities to get up to speed or on the investment side we'll give more uh boot camps and forums to teach them about money and how to pitch and da 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 guys i'm gonna tell you right now if you didn't if you didn't know nothing else today i am proof and my team is proof even though you haven't seen their faces that that shit is bullshit the same people that are saying that they can't, you know, where the black talent and we don't see any black uh, founders and all that. It's the same people with black talent working three to four levels below them and are overqualified for their positions. Then they come back and say, what about soft skills and leadership? Well, hell, if anybody got soft skills and leadership, it is the African-American that's being uh, overworked, underpaid, and is overqualified in this role for the last 15 to 20 years. That's one thing I, you know, I, I hate to, um, uh, call it that it's a, I guess you call it a, a good quality of black people for how loyal we are and how committed we are to stay at jobs, but it's to our detriment, right? The, the African-American baby boomers stay because they only got so far. And so they just, they just riding it out. Well, I only got five more years. Might as well stay here. So I get the big payout in the 401k at the, with their age, they probably still have pensions. Um, and then with the young people, we sit here, frustrated and sometimes stay thinking that if I just work a little harder, put my head down, don't complain, get along with everybody, say yes, 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 right? And always be understanding when they disappoint me and, and remove me from opportunities, then one day I would get my chance. I did that shit. It didn't work. I tried. It didn't work. So that's why you saw me jump around. So until uh, Michelle and, and whoever her colleagues in bio and big farm and all these other companies reach down and intentionally promote these cats to where they need to be at director and VP level, nothing is ever going to change. And when you suffocate people, our people, my people, and our culture like that, then that's also hurting the company. So one thing that was said to me at the company that I worked at recently, and I will hold back their name, the feedback I got when I was going at the position that I was clearly qualified for, even on paper, had already proven myself for that year. One of the feedbacks that I got was, well, the company is not ready for that type of change. You don't fit the mold. They're not ready to see, you know, that change in leadership like that. You need to be, you need to have political awareness. That's bullshit right there. Bullshit. <laughs> Go down, reach down, be intentional like I did. All these cats that I'm making director level uh, and in the C-suite level at my company, nine out of ten times, all of these cats are a supervisor or assistant manager or associate director. Never manager, never director. So this is their first time opportunity having to pay and title to do what they already know how to do. And so for me to be able to give them the opportunity like that, and you know, like I said, they're, they're many more years wiser uh, than me. So for them to be able to hopefully stay with me for the long haul and retire at the top of their field, 
that's that's what makes me feel good. Yeah, we make money, but what makes me feel good is that I give opportunity to uh, black people to actually generate real wealth for themselves, for their families, hell, even just had the opportunity to pay off a school loan. Do you know how many times black people, we can't pay off no school loans with the way we work, with the opportunities that we're limited to. So the fact that you can pay off a school loan and nine times out of 10, we are overeducated. So it's not just bachelors. Some of these people I work with got two master degrees. Some got PhDs. That shit is crazy. With uh, Dr. McMurray Heath at Bio, it looks like a, a good move for the industry, um, sort of going from the crusty, white, old guy, no offense to Jim Greenwood, that has been walking right. the halls of every biopharma conference for, well, since year dot, to actually having um, you know, a, a black woman uh, representing the industry. That looks great, but as, I think you're saying here that until the industry undergoes a sea change and actually looks at the the lower end, the bottom end, um, and its working practices, uh, not a lot is really going to change for minority workers in the space. You are correct. And, and like I said, some of this stuff is subconscious, some of it's conscious. Uh, ironically, though, I have to be honest, some of it is very subconscious. You, 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 you know, habits are hard to change, right? Especially when you're trying to integrate a culture that until Black Lives Matter, even though we already knew that we're not a subculture, but let's just say until Black Lives Matter, most people did not even know these problems even existed. And it's not because they didn't see them, it was right there in their face. They just didn't think twice about it and always assume the worst uh, in us for our reasoning of not being able to overcome or, or, or get a, a great employment opportunity. That is, that is not the case. That's like saying the kid is failing his schoolwork because he's just dumb when the teacher is only catering to to two percent of her classroom. See how that match up? So yep. until you intentionally start including us in these opportunities and giving us the same opportunity that you give our white counterparts a chance for you to see our leadership skills, for you to see our soft skills in real time, change is never going to Happen. I've sat in so many rooms and, and, and as, a, as me and my former manager roles, and we're talking about promotion. And when you're promotion, the, uh, a, a white candidate and you got this black candidate, nine times out of 10, the black candidate is more qualified. Okay. And then now we're, we're negotiating why we should hire one or the other. And nine times out of 10, it always came down to this. Well, we know the white candidate, we'll just say his name. We know Bill doesn't have everything we need in our job description, but he's such a likable guy. You know, he, uh, he seems like a really good guy. And, you know, we can, we can guide him on the leadership and, and our culture. That's easy to do. And then when it came to, to the black candidate, you know, we'll just say Devon, whatever, Chris. Okay. It'll be like, well, I mean, yeah, he meets everything on paper, but why did he stay for so long at his job? I mean, this is great. He should be director. Why the hell did he stay a supervisor? Or why did he stay a manufacturing operator lead? I mean, something has to be wrong for you to stay in that position 15 years and you have all these skills. Why you don't want to give Chris a chance to prove his soft skills and leadership skills, but it's okay for uh, whoever I said the, the, the white candidate name was to, you're going to give him a shot. That makes no sense. 
it's a problem that is there and has always been there um, in our industry and in every industry. And I kind of feel complicit because I've I've never I've never really thought about this before. Um, but I'm absolutely delighted to, to well. I'm not delighted to hear what you're saying, but I'm delighted yeah, to be able to showcase what you're saying right. and hopefully um, uh, promote um, some of the practices that you, you've installed and um, hopefully raise awareness within our industry that uh, there is this uh, underground prejudice. There is this uh, conscious or, or subconscious um, flaw when uh, um, when looking at hierarchies within systems. And it's, it's, it's something that is really, really... Um, tragic to hear about but you know i'm fingers crossed that something may change in the future which is leads me on to my final question for you um are you optimistic at all for the future of our industry when it comes to diversity oh yeah i'm optimistic i'm super optimistic because uh the the old way of doing things literally is retiring out same with Michelle, Dr. Michelle McMurray being, you know, head president of, of bio. They are literally retiring out. And so I believe that the, uh, the younger generations, you know, millennials, I don't know all them divisions and shit, but the younger generation, uh, we've grown up very differently. Even the generation below me, right? I'm 37. I don't care about telling my age. So people in their early 30s or late 20s, that generation is entirely different. They are totally free. They've been themselves, uh, they've been whatever sexual preference, however they want to dress, however they want to be addressed as a person, they've been very open. They mom let them get pink and blue hair at five years old, all this shit with that generation, right? Which is great. I love it. So to have them now starting to get into these leadership positions as the oldest retiring out, it is definitely going to change uh, the lay of the land, not just for the United States, but globally. I think um, the best example, you can see that, in another industry is the entertainment industry. More and more projects are now having an integration of different cultures and race and uh, races and ethnicities because they're finding that they get more bang for their buck as far as advertising dollars um, and viewership, right? And so now, again, same thing. That same generation is doing that for them. So we have a chance for it to be done for us. We have some work to do, but I'm going to be, uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic that people like myself, the younger generation behind me, and people who are my peers in this startup world that are around the same age as me and or look like me, we've been working together for years. And so as we grow our companies and do what we need to do, it's naturally going to start integrate. The speed of it um, may be a thing, uh, uh, maybe the contingency, right? We can only move as fast as we can move, um, but eventually it is going to happen. I think we're literally steps away from uh, becoming Dr. Martin Luther King's dream with a sprinkle of Malcolm X that now, and I say Malcolm X because now my generation of black people are really stepping up to make change and we're not afraid to speak on it and express our thoughts and actually execute what we say we're gonna do. Well, that's it. Thank you very much to my guest, um, Tia Lyles-Williams from Lucas by Bio. Um, an incredible first podcast highlighting an extremely important issue within the industry. I'm glad to hear that she is optimistic for the future. Let's hope um, her optimism um, comes to fruition. 
I'd like to thank also all of you for listening to this very first Bioprocess Insider Expression Platform podcast. Until next time, stay safe.